0: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
1: It's 12.03, July 13th, 2022. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us for the Wednesday edition of the WBBM Noon Business Hour presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rachel Pearson filling in for Rob Hart. There are some things that you can do to fight the erosion of inflation on your finances. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the Labor Department's release of the Consumer Price Index headlines today's data. Let's break down that report with the help of Gus Fauché. He's a chief economist at PNC Financial Services based in Pittsburgh. Gus, help us understand this number. It sounds terrifying. Inflation up 9.1%.
2: Yeah, we're seeing big price increases across a wide variety of goods and services, obviously most prominently uh, gasoline and food, but we're also seeing uh, costs of other everyday items go up, and it's more expensive for Americans, than it, much more expensive than it was a year ago.
1: And aside, uh, you mentioned a couple of the big players here, and and maybe, is, correct me if I'm wrong, is energy the, the biggest player in, in these rising inflation numbers? Um, yeah.
2: Energy is. Obviously, we saw a big increase in gasoline prices over the last couple of months in particular. But the big problem is it's not just energy. I mean, now we're seeing gasoline prices fall. That will slow inflation in in July. But the concern is is that we're seeing prices increase for not just energy and food, but all sorts of other things. And that inflation tends to be stickier. It tends to hang around for longer. uh, And that does raise the possibility that inflation could remain high through 2022 and into 2023.
1: And help us put this into perspective, because we know that that things are costing more. We know that 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 we're feeling the inflation. But let's let's look at this because it hasn't been inflation rather hasn't been this high since November of 1981. Yeah.
2: And, and the other thing is, is that although wages are going up, they're not increasing as quickly as, as inflation is. And so people are falling behind. Uh, and that can cause them to pull back on their spending. So, um, you know, this is really uh, the highest inflation that we've seen in, in about 40 years. Uh, it's due to the recovery from the pandemic, uh, short, uh, you know, supply chain difficulties, uh, stimulus, uh, low interest rates in the Federal Reserve, all of that. And that's created inflation problems, not not just in the United States, but throughout the world.
1: And what does this mean moving forward, especially knowing that we've got uh, more rate hikes coming from the Fed in the near future?
2: Um, This means that the Fed will continue to raise interest rates aggressively. So uh, I would expect the Fed funds rate to go up by three-quarters of a percentage point uh, at the end of July. It's going to be more expensive to borrow, to buy a home, to buy a car. Credit card interest rates are going up. It's going to be more expensive for businesses to invest. And the Fed's hope is is that that will cool off economic growth somewhat and bring inflation back down to 2%, not in 2023, but maybe by early 2024.
1: The Fed had said previously that it was looking, I believe, at 75 basis points for an increase. Is this recent consumer price index report going to make it even more aggressive? It's possible. I
2: still would be surprised if we saw a full percentage point increase in the Fed funds rate at the end of July. I think, you know, we've already had a lot of tightening in in monetary policy. We've already seen interest rates move up aggressively so far this year. Uh, I think if the Fed uh, increases by 75 basis points at the end of July, and then they can continue to increase throughout 2022 and into 2023 if if they're still concerned about inflation.
1: Thanks so much, Gus Fauché, Chief Economist at PNC Financial Services based in Pittsburgh. Coming up, we'll talk about some strategies to help hedge against inflation.
0: Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
1: It's Personal Finance Wednesday and inflation is top of mind for many, especially with today's release of the Consumer Price Index. Let's talk about all things that you can do to protect your money with Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer, officer rather, of Wealth Management Group in Inverness and Downers Grove. Craig, uh, it can sound a little daunting to read that report of inflation up 9.1 percent from last year, but there are some places that we can seek shelter.
3: There are absolutely, and what a terrible print that was, Rachel. (laughs) You knew it was going to be tough when the White House was leaking it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I think about it, we break it down into inflation hedges, inflation beaters, and inflation trades. And inflation hedges, those are for everybody. And what people can think about are savings bonds, specifically i-savings bonds with their 9.6% guaranteed rate for the first six months, or looking beyond that another inflation hedge might be a treasury inflation protection security. Those would be good examples of inflation hedges, but I do think if you want to Beat inflation over time, then you have to be focusing on great companies of America that pay rising dividends. That's consistently been one of the best places to beat inflation. But when inflation runs rampant, when inflation comes in hotter than expected, I think inflation trades things that you have in your portfolio, could that be commodities, could it be gold, could it be silver, having an ounce of prevention is sometimes worth a pound to cure.
1: We talk about finding, you know, metaphorical shelter from inflation, but uh, I think that quite literally shelter in owning a home could be an asset.
3: Well, you know, and someone said to me the other day, they're like, why would, you know, owning a house, you know, help with inflation? Well, the first thing is, you know, when you buy that house, and most people buy it with a mortgage, whether that's 15-year, whether that's 30-year, but you lock in that interest rate, you lock in that mortgage payment, so in essence owning a home has some built-in inflation protection because if you're renting, if we continue to have rents escalate at the pace that they're at, it makes housing unaffordable. So I think Owning a home can be a great way in the shelter concept to hedge for inflation, both in locking in what that monthly payment is. And hopefully if you buy in the right area in the right demographics, you might just see some appreciation, too.
1: What else do you say to consumers that feel somewhat paralyzed by inflation and where it's at right now?
3: I think it's simple. We all know what the answer is. Sometimes we just need to be reminded on what to do, and right now that means living small. You know, and living small doesn't mean, you know, not enjoying nice things, but living small just means being a conscious consumer, making sure we're being very intentional and measured with how we make our spending decisions because yes, this inflation scenario will eventually pass. But as I was talking to someone the other day, I'm not convinced that my Dorito bag is ever going to get those five Doritos back in it. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure that my unsweetened iced tea is never going to get those couple of ounces back in it as the companies are shrinking. So I think if we just make better decisions as consumers, we're more intentional with our money and we budget, we tell our money where to go instead of wondering where it went, everybody in America can see this through.
1: Thanks so much. Craig Bolanos, founding partner and chief executive officer of Wealth Management Group based in Inverness and Downers Grove. Up next, you may be surprised to learn what's the best-selling plug-in hybrid vehicle in America.
0: The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
1: The top-selling plug-in hybrid vehicle in America is the Jeep Wrangler. Let's talk about that surprising fact with Jeff Gilbert. He's a CBS Auto reporter based in Detroit, Michigan. Jeff, uh, first of all, a little surprised to hear the word Jeep when we hear a hybrid vehicle. But uh, first of all, what is a plug-in hybrid?
4: A plug-in hybrid is a vehicle that will go short distances say 20-30 miles in pure electric like an ev but they also have a gasoline engine so when when the electric battery runs down the gasoline engine kicks in and you go like a gasoline vehicle or a hybrid the rest of the time
1: and so why why is jeep wrangler the winner in this race yep it has
4: nothing to do with being green and has everything to do with being a jeep wrangler Uh Wranglers a very popular vehicle and we have those $7,500 federal tax rebates. Not every car maker has them because some have exhausted theirs, but Jeep hasn't. So you get that rebate on the Jeep Wrangler 4xE, and all of a sudden you get into a very nicely equipped Jeep Wrangler
1: with a plug in hybrid
4: for less than a gasoline model.
1: I mean, that certainly is, is appealing, but I also want to keep in mind that, that these plug-in hybrids make up a very small percentage of the U.S. car market, correct? Co-
4: correct. Uh, there, are, there are some car companies that are very into the idea of a plug-in hybrid. They see them as a nice transition between hybrids and electric vehicles. Other car companies, particularly General Motors and, and Volkswagen, are more all in on EVs and have kind of skipped over that technology.
1: Here's the other interesting thing. I mean, I think about Jeep and specifically the Jeep Wrangler. This is a burly, boxy sort of SUV-looking vehicle, unlike maybe the Prius that's sort of more sleek and slender. And uh, I don't know. It's sort of interesting because uh, it's not necessarily the style synonymous with uh, going green.
4: Uh, No, and and the reality is uh, it's it's kind of interesting. I went to a drive with those vehicles, and, and the electric motor actually gives some extra extra torque for off-roading, rock crawling, and things of that nature. So so there are some things that, that really work to the advantage of, of the Jeep as being an off-roader. And, and it's kind of apples and oranges to compare that at a Prius or a plug-in hybrid version of the RAV4. That they're all very different vehicles. And, you know, there, there's another thing at, at work here, too. The plant in Toledo, Ohio, that's pumping out these Jeeps, seems to be uh, getting a priority when it comes to computer chips, while Toyota has had some problems with availability of vehicles. So you've got that at play here as well.
1: Again, the top-selling plug-in hybrid vehicle in America is the Jeep Wrangler. With the details this afternoon, that's Jeff Gilbert. He's a CBS Auto reporter based in Detroit. Still ahead in personal finance Wednesday, money moves to make before the arrival of a child.
0: This is Chicago's all news station, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
1: Well, good afternoon and thanks for joining us. I'm Rachel Pearson, filling in for Rob Hart. These are some of the top stories on news radio WBBM. Activists from the Chicago area are in Washington to take part in a demonstration calling for stricter gun controls. Health precautions are in place as President Biden travels to the Middle East. In Personal Finance Wednesday, making money plans before the arrival of a child. Plus, there's a downside to restaurant menus accessed through a QR code. WBBM Business, the Dow Down. 89 points. The Nasdaq up 30 and the S&P 500 down one point. Accuweather says partly cloudy skies today will reach a high in the mid 80s. Low 62 under patchy clouds tonight, then mostly sunny tomorrow. Pleasant once again with a high of 80 degrees. The WBBM noon business hour is presented by the village of Bedford Park. There's a growing gun control protest happening outside the U.S. Capitol this afternoon. CBS News congressional correspondent Scott McFarlane is there.
3: Mental health Uvalde, Texas victims' families and Highland Park, Illinois, community here. members are here outside the People north front of the U.S. Capitol. This is a large gun control rally, many of them wearing orange shirts and carrying orange signs. They're asking for a federal assault weapons
0: ban from a U.S. Congress, which is meeting today, but just recently mustered enough votes for a much more incremental gun control law
1: the House is expected to vote on the assault weapon ban later today. It will then go to the Senate. The White House also says President Biden will try to limit physical
3: contact during
1: his Mideast trip due to rising COVID cases.
3: While flying to Israel, the president's spokeswoman said the goal was to minimize contact as much as possible. And after landing in Tel Aviv, the president did dole out some fist bumps but then reverted to his old ways, with an arm around a back, a handshake. There's intense speculation about what he'll do in Saudi Arabia, and whether he'll shake hands with the crown prince, whom U.S. intelligence says probably sanctioned a critic's killing. There appeared to be few COVID precautions in place before the president's trip. Yesterday, he mingled and shook hands with lawmakers at a White House picnic. Sagar Magani, Washington.
0: Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
1: Well, the markets are mixed, and joining us with the latest on what's moving Wall Street is Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond, Indiana. Chuck, glad to have you with us because I'm hoping you can help us make sense of this. Is it all in response to the inflation report that was out today?
5: well it is but in- investors need to understand markets are forward looking so they're they're constantly discounting the future and uh, you know sometimes when you get a report like this which inherently didn't look very good you know you would expect the market to to really sell off uh, in a big way. And, and we did kind of get that sell-off earlier in the day, but the market's actually flat back. And as you mentioned, the S&P 500 is pretty much flat, and the Nasdaq is actually up for the day. And that's what you want to see if if you're looking for green shoots for a market bottom. It's a, it's a market that holds up in the face of bad news. And we're going to get a lot of bad news over the next 45 days, whether it's economic data points or it's corporate earnings. And, and we're going to get a view of just how much the market has discounted that bad news. And, you know, today's actually not a bad day if, if, if you're somebody looking for a bottom, in a sense, of how the market is behaving in the face of this bad news today.
1: We know that the Fed has to stay aggressive, especially after seeing a number like 9.1 percent for a year-over-year basis in June. Does this mean a, a recession is inevitable?
5: it probably does i i i'm kind of in the camp that says it, it, it is inevitable well, we'll have to wait and see but i mean there's uh, you know is it going to be a, a severe one is it going to be kind of a a shallow one you know that's what the market is trying to weigh here and again the, the the market will kind of provide its verdict on that prior to you know the event happening by how it behaves again you know the decline we've seen in stocks in the market is was certainly a precursor to You know, a slowdown in economic activity and whether that slowdown, you know, boils over into a recession, I kind of think it will. But uh, if, in fact, those June 17th lows in the Dow industrials and Dow transports do hold, then I think the market can, can bear okay through through a shallow recession.
1: Put the CPI on the shelf for a moment because it's also uh, the start of earnings season and we're certainly keeping an eye on, you mentioned some some company reports. Uh, Delta, I believe, had some uh, less than positive results yesterday and I know we're expecting some news from big banks. What are you keeping a close eye on, Chuck?
5: Yeah, I'm, I'm. what I'm looking for, again, is how are stocks reacting. Not so much, you know, I'm not so much focused on what the numbers are. I'm focused on how the stocks react because, again, that's going to give me an indication of just how much stocks have been discounting uh, you know the problems I mean you're, you know you 're going to have companies coming out with earnings that that miss estimates, but you know these also may be stocks that are already down forty fifty sixty percent so is the market already kind of discounting this this uh, you know weak earnings period and probably weak guidance, uh, or is it still going down on the, that negative news so that 's what we 'll see it 's going to be a very uh, Uh, diverse group of earnings this season. I mean, you're going to have companies that are going to be just fine, and then you're going to have companies that aren't. So there's going to be a lot of noise in this earnings season, but ultimately how the markets hold up through this and if they can hold their previous lows, again, those June 17th lows, I think it's going to be telling for how the market can perform for the the rest of this year. So next 45 days are going to be really critical to this market.
1: Thanks so much for helping us out here today, Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services. You can check out his website, UpsideStocks.com. Up next in Personal Finance Wednesday, we'll talk about making financial plans before the arrival of a baby.
0: Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
1: It's Personal Finance Wednesday, and the arrival of a baby can be a time of joy, but, man, it's also hectic and exhausting. So it's important to have some money strategies in place before the big day. Let's get some suggestions from Mark Horner, a wealth advisor at Fairhaven Wealth Management based in Wheaton. The website, fairhavenwealth.com. Mark, uh, yeah, having a baby sounds daunting enough, but then when you look at the finance of it all, it's uh, terrifying.
6: I, I, all of it can be terrifying. I speak from experience. My <laughs> wife and I have got four, so uh, but you can get you can get through it. So there is some specific uh, specific ideas uh, to think about, both for the wee one, but then also for also for the parents as as it relates to their financial plans. So for the for the baby, uh, you know, time is just a huge ally in getting in, in saving and getting invested. And so it's never too soon to start thinking about college and getting uh, getting systematized and in, in making a a regular monthly contribution to something like a 529 plan is a great way to is a great way to get started for college and anybody can contribute to anybody's Five twenty nine plan, so it's okay to put a little pressure on those proud grandparents that they can they can put a little money into that into that college plan.
1: Yeah, we uh, don't need more onesies. We need you to contribute to uh, our child's
6: college fund. I like that. Exactly, exa- exactly. Credit credit is another thing that that does uh, a reality for for us all, and it's never too early to start building credit. So you can. Many credit cards don't have a minimum age. you could add your child as a signer to your credit card and get them started building a credit history uh as soon as they've got a social security number so you just one caveat there that if you you get yourself into some credit difficulty that's going to follow uh your child so you want to be you want to be careful about that
1: now mark so your Sorry, you're mentioning a lot of long-term uh, planning, which is fantastic, but there's also some immediate expenses that come. I'm thinking even just the cost to deliver the baby and then child care or maternity, paternity leave, things like that that need to be considered financially.
6: Yeah, so that's a great point, Rachel. So reviewing reviewing your uh, what benefits might be available for you at your, at your employer to see if there's opportunities to offset uh, some of those some of those expenses, as well as take advantage of uh of whatever uh w- whatever benefits your employer might might offer there there's also some immediate things to do for for mom and dad though and that is uh, think about reviewing life insurance. So uh, you've got a new obligation with a new with a new baby in the in the house. And if something something happens to you, you want to make sure that your surviving family is taken care of. And that also dovetails into wills, trusts, and powers of attorney. But those are those are all things that should be taken uh, should be addressed uh, immediately uh, to make sure that your family is well 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 provided for and well taken care of
1: as someone who's had a recent conversation into the family planning arena and we google the cost of what a child costs in just their first year of life what do you say to someone who just looks at that number and it is staggering it sounds it seems insurmountable
6: it does seem insurmountable and i've seen some estimates that the that the total cost of raising a child can can, can be knock on the door of a million dollars I, I don't know if that's true I don't know if that's true or not but um, there's a lot more to life Rachel than just than just a big fat bank account and so if, if somebody if somebody's thinking about their family and uh, or, or starting a family and part of the decision is is how much is how much is this going to cost me both today and over the long time to- over the longer period of time and what vacations am I not going to be able to take because I'm gonna have to be coaching little League I would say those are questions that indicate somebody's not quite ready to, uh, to make the jump into, uh, into family life yet. So maybe that's maybe that's the decision left for another day.
1: Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Mark Horner, a wealth advisor at Fairhaven Wealth Management based in Wheaton, Illinois. You can join us at this time tomorrow for Technology Thursday. And still to come, we'll look at how QR code menus are hurting restaurants.
0: The best daily deal in Chicago, the WBBM Noon Business Hour.
1: You may have noticed this during the COVID-19 pandemic. Restaurants, many of them, are shifting to use QR code menus. But it turns out it could be hurting their bottom line. Let's find out why. From Doug Roth, founder and president of Playground Hospitality here in Chicago. Doug, great to have you with us. This was something I had no idea of. I've seen the QR codes. For me, I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, the menu's on my phone. But you're, this is not necessarily a good thing for restaurants. Why?
7: Uh, correct. Uh, good afternoon, Rachel. Uh, actually, there's a couple reasons behind that. Uh, one is uh, that people have a tendency when they l- are looking at menus, no differently than having a book in hand versus a Kindle, that they are able to peruse the menu, be able to share the menu. And what happens is that there is a upsell that goes on when people use menus versus QR codes. And uh, you're looking at probably about a 20% differential, uh, sometimes in revenue, for restaurants when they use a regular menu versus the QR code.
1: And is that just simply because there, there's something to be said for having something physically in your hand and maybe seeing something that jumps out at you that you weren't? I do think you have to be pretty intentional when you're looking at a menu on your phone.
7: Oh, no, that's a good point. And I think what's happened, and there was a very good article, an op-ed in the Washington Post, um, they're somewhat unnecessary, as the article says. They're antisocial, and in addition to that, they're discriminatory and unpopular. So, um, and, and, and that's obviously one person's view. But I happen to sort of uh, agree with that, that uh, you're out with someone and, and it's a, a nice evening and you rip out your phones. Uh, you're always going to look at an email. You're going to look at something else. Um, so what, what happens really is, as you also pointed out, you, you're, you quickly use it and then put it down versus the experience of dining out. And uh, especially today, what I have said before uh, on, on different segments is, it's post-COVID exuberance. And I think people want to forget about some of the things that came about from COVID and want to experience the the time together and and just really have a good time. And I I think sometimes technology takes away from that.
1: And I think that some of the surge in this QR technology was was born of necessity from the pandemic. There were some health concerns about sharing menus. I I can understand that to a degree. Uh, Is this something, though, that are QR codes for some restaurants here to stay? Is it time for restaurants to start fading them away?
7: You know, I think it depends on two things. One is the market segment. Who are you going after? Is it Z's? Is it uh, millennials? Who are obviously attached to their phones? Uh, three out of four uh, boomers prefer to use menus. So obviously, an older, uh, older segmentation. Um, but at this point, um, I think it depends also on the concept. If you're going to a, QA, a quick service restaurant or a fast casual restaurant, you don't care as much. But if you're going more to a a polished fine dining restaurant. Uh, I think that people want the experience. So I think it also depends on age and also depends on the type of restaurant.
1: Thanks so much, Doug Roth, founder and president of Playground Hospitality, based here in Chicago. If you missed any part of today's Noon Business Hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at wbbmnewsradio.com and on the Odyssey app.